Hello, and welcome to ECE Tech Talks. I'm Barry Sullivan, ACETA Program Development Director, and with me is John Janowick, ACETA Executive Director. Today, we're speaking with Wally Rines, uh, someone who has a long career in the semiconductor industry. And uh, well, Wally's going to be catching us up on what he's uh, doing these days, and uh, well, it should be uh, an interesting conversation. Uh, Wally, thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Barry. Glad to be here. Uh, Wally, uh, you know, we were chatting a little bit about, you know, some of your your past experiences and whatnot, and uh, we got all the way back to, I think, 1978, uh, the year that Intel and Motorola both introduced their uh, 16-bit microprocessors, the 8086 and 68000, respectively. You were at Texas Instruments at the time. Uh, How did that affect you? Well, it had a big impact uh, because uh, I, I was uh, at that time I was running the uh, I, I was head of engineering for consumer products where we were designing chips for calculators, speak and spell, things like that. And uh, the microprocessor business uh, was struggling because Intel announced the 886 in April and then uh, Motorola the 68000 uh, late in the year. And uh, TI 16-bit microprocessor clearly wasn't going to make it. It only had 16 bits of logical address space, and that wasn't going to be enough. And so uh, nobody wanted the job, so they were willing to take a a person who was uh, just over 30 as uh, head of the division. Uh, I had a second motivation because I was living in Lubbock, Texas, and I thought Houston sounded a lot better than Lubbock uh, (laughs) for a young single person. So... Anyway, I, I, I went there and I realized just how desperate the situation was. Uh, and of course, the corporate management was hoping we could just fix up their, our existing microprocessor and compete. That wasn't a possibility, so we looked ahead. And we said, gee, if general purpose host microprocessors are the big thing today, then maybe special purpose microprocessors will be in the future. Uh, and so uh, we embarked on what is a special purpose microprocessor. We uh, uh, highlighted communications, graphics, networking, mass storage. And so we started with the one for communications, uh, a single chip digital signal processor, and I uh, called it the TMS320. Uh, of course, the corporate management uh, wasn't very happy because this was, uh, they wanted something that would go head to head with uh, Motorola and Intel. And this was a promise of the future. But the good part was that they had low expectations. So they uh, didn't bother us a whole lot. <laughs> and we were able to go off and uh, put a team together, just very motivated people developed the product for which there was no market. No one uh, really knew what digital signal processing was. No one knew how to write applications. We had to actually had to commission books. And uh, at at TI then, uh, the king of TTL logic, uh, a four-page data sheet was the maximum allowed. And uh, here we wanted to do 300-page books. Uh, So we were sort of a fish out of water. But uh, managed to get through all that, and uh, it took a long time. It was very painful, but uh, eventually the TMS three twenty and its derivatives became half the revenue of Texas Instruments. So, uh, uh, after a long time, <laughs> very rewarding, but a lot of pain on the way. And I've uh, I seem to gravitate to those kinds of challenges uh, <laughs> in my career. Today's podcast is sponsored by Conrad's. Conrez, a well-known company, is a provider of electronic test and measurement equipment. As a corporate member of ACETA, their focus is selling, renting, and leasing a wide range of products, 
including scopes, power supplies, spectrum analyzers, and DMMs, with industry leaders Tektronix, Keyfleet, Keysight, Rodian Schwartz, and Fluke, who can quickly respond to your test equipment needs with their multi-million dollar inventory center. Visit Conrez at www.conrestestequipment.com. That's www.conrestestequipment.com. You know, I do remember the TMS uh, 320, and um, yeah, uh, digital signal processing is where I started my career too. Uh, so um, yeah, it's uh, I'm sure it's uh, something that many in our audience will uh, recollect with uh, with great fondness. Um, well, you know, John and I first got to know you when you were with uh, Mentor Graphics, uh, the CEO of uh, that um, you know design uh, verification uh, outfit. Um, and uh, but uh, you know, since you've uh, moved on from TI Mentor Graphics uh, and into this new thing called Cornami, uh, we were chatting a little bit about uh, you know where does that name come from? Yeah, so that's uh, named for a tsunami of cores. It's a startup that's been starting up for quite a while because it developed a compiler technology that allowed compilation of applications into truly independent streams of data and control. No interdependencies, no synchronization, just stream the compiled uh, application through the, uh, the compute structure. Uh, and there was a period where they uh, tried to market it just as a software technology, but it became apparent that if you really want to get the benefit, you have to design a chip that implements the software. So that's what they did, starting with uh, uh, a, a version that uh, has 6,000 cores, and uh, it has the ability ultimately to go to 64 million cores. Uh, but uh, basically, the, the emulator has been... Uh, uh, implemented with the design, lots of benchmarks have been run. The processor or the compute fabric scales with number of processors uh, from uh, multi cores on a chip to multiple chips to boards to servers. And so it offers essentially unlimited performance if you add uh, additional processors and uh, it opened the door to a set of new applications. It was, of course, unique in its capability for AI and machine learning, but there are lots and lots of competitors there. So what we focused on is the next revolution in cybersecurity. That's uh, fully homomorphic encryption. Uh, we can talk more about that if you like, but basically- I was gonna say, you're gonna have to explain that one. Yeah, I, I, I'd like to hear about that. <laughs> so it's really a magical technology. Uh, developed in 2009 by Craig Gentry, a graduate student at Stanford. And uh, what he was able to develop and prove was that you could create uh, quantum proof or certainly quantum resistant uh, encryption that uh, would uh, provide absolute security for data stored in a, uh, in a compute environment because you never operate on the decrypted data. So today you send your data to the cloud, somebody has a key uh, and decrypts it and does the processing. With homomorphic encryption, you actually perform all of the computations on the data while it remains in encrypted form. No one else gets the key. The results are sent back to you encrypted, and uh, uh, it sounds really amazing, doesn't it? You can do yeah. any 
any operation a computer can do, you can do with fully homomorphic encryption. Today, the computation is so challenging that all you see in the market is homomorphic encryption. Microsoft uh, had an, a, pro uh, a product in the last election called Election Guard, where they they guaranteed security of vote counting in certain precincts with it. Uh, there, IBM is is aggressively marketing it, but until you get higher performance, it doesn't become really practical. It runs about one one millionth the speed of plain text processing because. Mm -hmm. You're taking a single bit of information, converting it into a 500-order polynomial and with 64-bit floating point coefficients and then doing thousands of uh, fast Fourier transforms uh, on that single bit of data. Uh, it's, it's awesome, but uh, that's a perfect application for Cornami. We yeah. just put enough cores to it and we can do it in real time so that you can do the encrypted computation at the same speed that you're used to having the unencrypted. Uh, so uh, over the next few years, the quantum computing is going to break most of the security on the internet, right. uh, but it can't break fully homomorphic encryption. So uh, it's, it's not unreasonable to expect, first, that high security applications, uh, financial services, uh, Department of Defense, uh, uh, biomedical data and things will move first. Yeah. And they need to guarantee that if someone hacks into the data center, that they cannot get their data. Uh, the Department of Defense has a, a policy called zero trust. And it assumes that the data center has been compromised. It assumes that the operating system has been compromised. It assumes that the chips have Trojans in them. And so what do you do? And the answer is you protect your data. And if your data is still encrypted with this kind of encryption, homomorphic encryption, then it doesn't, well, it, it matters that they get in the data center. That's still inconvenient, sure. but they don't ever get your data. That's fascinating. Wow, thank you for sharing that, Wally. That's amazing. <laughs> that's, a, that's a view of the future there. It yeah, is, no, but it's and, not and that it's, far in the future either. Uh, yeah. uh, we, uh, Assuming we can get funding, we're still uh, raising money to actually tape out the chip. But assuming yeah. we can do that, we can be in the market within a year. And the emulation data, I've learned over many, many years of practice, yep. the chip will do what the emulator says it will do. So we're pretty confident. That well, you know, if you look at you look at how complex the world, you know, you just mentioned a few markets, you know, the financial market and and medical and, and others. Uh, obviously, um, uh, defense and security, national security. But I mean, you think about the complexities now; uh, it's just enormous. So I'm I'm glad there's people like you, Wally, out there doing this work. I mean, uh, it's it's really wonderful. Well, the sales proposition is is pretty easy. Let's see. Would you like to run your data in a data center where it can be hacked and exposed, or would you like to run it securely so no one else can get your data? <laughs> <laughs> well, the the uh, the technology. Um, you talk about the comp computational complexity and uh, yeah, how challenging it would be to break through the encryption, um, but. There, there must have been some technological breakthrough that uh, allows you to do this. Are you able to share? You, you, you mentioned the tsunami of cores. Is it all just the uh, the, the level of computational 
uh, horsepower that you can bring to this, or is there more to it than that, or is, or is this something that you can't tell us about? Yeah, well, no, the the compiler technology is key. Uh, you have to do parallel processing. You can't expect to run a a serial processor of any sort, a, a uniprocessor, at these speeds. So it means you you have to be able to expand the number of cores. Uh, actually, the great strength of NVIDIA today, we, we talked about NVIDIA earlier and their contribution to the University of Florida. Uh, the great strength is they do parallel computing. They do one particular kind of parallel computing, single instruction, multiple data, because they're used to graphics. You can have a thousand bits in a display and you can do a single operation on all 1000 and speed up the overall performance by a thousand X. Well, there are actually 55 forms of parallelism that have been defined by uh, Hennessy and Patterson. And uh, they include pipelining and uh, systolic arrays and other things. Uh, Kornami is able to do all 55. And so we can dynamically at runtime reconfigure the flow of data in such a way as to take on the shape of the algorithm. So run it in single instruction, multiple data for a while, run it uh, as a deep, deep pipeline, uh, whatever the algorithm requires. And fully homomorphic encryption is a very challenging algorithm uh, for any processor uh, because of the data transfer that's involved. And the other thing is power. People who have done parallel processors in the past uh, have struggled with two things. Uh, one is the synchronization of the parallel uh, operations, but particularly memory, shared memory, memory storage, and memory power. Most of the power in an NVIDIA processor today is used in memory reads and writes. So you have to either eliminate or minimize those memory reads and writes. And Kornami's architecture allows you to do that. Uh, you move away from a von Neumann architecture, the data, it's a data flow architecture, uh, very little storage, certainly no virtual memory access, none of the things that consume a lot of power. So if you just put it up against an NVIDIA processor, it would run sustained about a thousand times as fast and with about oh, 50 to 70% of the power uh, at that level. And so that then allows you to think about adding more and more cores to take you up to the level where you can do this million X capability that fully homomorphic encryption requires. Well, I'm sold. When can yeah. I get it? <laughs> I'll put you in our order book. <laughs> well, you know, while we were chatting a little bit too before about um, uh, some of your background, your family background, and uh, something that, uh, you know, John, I don't think you knew, knew this either, oh, uh, yeah. about your father's uh, history with the University of Florida and uh, how you came to move from Pittsburgh and uh, his role at, uh, was it was it Carnegie Mellon then or Carnegie Institute? No, it was Carnegie Tech. It was Carnegie, Carnegie Tech, Tech back then. Oh, my gosh. So, so that goes back a ways. Uh, but uh, he was uh, something of a, of a pioneer in uh, at the University of Florida, too, I understand. Yeah. So, uh, of course, I was born in, in Pittsburgh because of that. And he was a professor, uh, actually the Alcoa professor uh, at uh, Carnegie, uh, Carnegie Tech then, uh, for, for uh, 25 years. And then uh, the University of Florida 
uh, wanted to get into uh, advanced materials because the space race was just starting Cape Canaveral, uh, University of Florida, the leading technical university in the state. And so they decided to start a department and he went to become the original founder and then brought in other people. And he eventually grew to be the largest uh, materials science and engineering department in the country uh, over quite a long period of time. But uh, uh, he did that. Uh, actually, he never retired. He uh, uh, went down with his boots on uh, eventually, but uh, he, uh, uh, the department was a source of great pride. And so, and I grew up in Gainesville. So basically a, a university uh, uh, professor's son, like everybody else in the town back then. Right, right, right. So, so are you a gator or what are you? I have to be mixed here. You know, I have Michigan, <laughs> Stanford, uh, right, Florida. Right. Uh, yeah. In fact, we did uh, a few years ago, uh, the Gators uh, played uh, Michigan in the, uh, the first game of the season. And yeah. I, I had donated money to both of them. And so right, they right. was invited to sit in the president's box of both <laughs> universities. So, so, I mean, did you, did you like do half first half, here, second there? half? Yeah. You know, I decided the best thing was not to go. And so oh. go. <laughs> very astute Wally. Very astute. That's good. That's good. Well, Wally, we've really enjoyed uh, the conversation. Uh, I don't know if you had any you know, closing thoughts or comments that you wanted to share. Uh, well, I, I think uh, uh, there are uh, lots of things that uh, you had mentioned earlier about future technologies. We've talked about one, but uh, a lot of others. Uh, the, the one thing I think we didn't talk about was COVID. And uh, what did we learn from COVID as a company? Uh, and what have I seen with others? And I, I think one of the things that will stay around is remote work. We found Interaction is necessary and important. And I'm on the corporate boards also, and we really miss that interaction. But we found you can do a lot of work remotely, and I think that's going to stay around. I think uh, reduced travel was an eye-opener. I, uh, I used to travel the world, uh, Asia in particular, uh, just almost continuously. And uh, uh, what I found with the COVID era, suddenly high-level people became accessible via uh, virtual contact, mm -hmm. and suddenly you could have that important meeting that you could only have before by mm -hmm. showing up uh, in China or India or somewhere like that. Uh, now you have access. So I think that'll stay around as well. And one other thing I noticed throughout the COVID period uh, I never got a cold. I never got sick. Now, I don't ever miss work anyway, but I didn't realize you know, how often you, you have the sniffles or a minor uh, uh, cold that you uh, slough off. And what I found is without the international interaction and the airplanes and everything, that went away. So that, uh, that's going to be tougher to keep. Uh, the, the thing we need to change, though, uh, is we're going to have some regular face-to-face -face interaction uh, at least one day a week, maybe two days a week where we get together and uh, exchange information. And that's going to be the same for the public boards I'm on. I think that'll be something that uh, most companies will find they really need. You really learn more in the side conversations than you do in the formal presentations. Yeah. And, and you know, we're, we're academia is struggling too, you know, obviously in this, in this whole uh, COVID era and f figuring out, how can how can they provide a safe environment and, and a you know an equitable environment for their um, 
their students, their their faculty, and others, and their employees. And it it's been you know it's been trying. And I, and I think you know you're just looking at the, all the press these last few weeks about going back in person, you know, into into you know class. It, it's you know it, we're all part of this great experiment. I feel Wally, you know, and. Uh, but it's it. I can't thank you enough for doing this today. It's really great to reconnect with you and 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 have you part of our our family and and being part of uh, sharing your experiences with us. So thank you very much. Well, thank you, John and Barry. Enjoyed the discussion. Hope we can talk again. Okay. Well, thank you, and uh, and thank everyone uh, for joining us today for ECE Tech Talks. Thanks to Wally Rines for chatting with us and introducing us to uh, Cornami. Uh, a tsunami, of course, we now know. Uh, please join us next time for another great conversation with thought leaders in ECE.